Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is Welcome back to another episode of the Fire Tom Herman Podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and I'm joined by my probably way more cynical than he was last time he was on the show, co-host, Noah. We're going to talk a little bit about Baylor, probably get into some of the bigger picture stuff that we're staring at sort of on a program level in the wake of the Baylor win. But Noah, how's it going, man? It's been a little bit since you were on. I know you were sort of broken by the past few games so uh it's good to have you back first of all it's been rough you know as all texas fans can relate uh the last few weeks have been yeah a little bit on the the downside for the program i do remember that during our season preview i had originally put down a seven and three prediction and it was a very a very pessimistic outlook, and then during the course of the episode, I had myself into changing it to nine and one. Uh, so I'm regretting that decision a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why did I have to give myself hope? Um, yeah, the looking hope back is what at hurts it, the most. It what really? The yeah, hope is what hurts the most. It really burns you, right? Um, and looking back at it, it's just incredible how much of, I guess, just how much of the our hopes were misplaced this year, you know, like we thought that it was going to be a skill position talent. Like for me, it was the inside receivers um, and then development of defensive backs uh, along with opening up the offense more uh, that we thought would really be the staple of our team this year. Um, And that's proven just not to be the case by choice, seemingly. (laughs) Uh, um, So yeah, it's been a little bit rough. Uh, The Baylor game, was okay i guess it was it was an average experience it wasn't <laughs> wasn't super positive but it also wasn't super negative and i guess that's what we're asking for here on saturdays this fall yeah i don't know if i'm necessarily asking for that but it's it was certainly nice to where like our freak out about oh my god typical tom herman we're gonna blow this blah 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 all happened when we were still up by two scores and then Baylor never got any closer. So I guess to a degree it was a boring win, which is better than an exciting loss at this point, especially, um, especially given who the talent was. Um, And I mean, obviously there's some disappointment that's still tied to only beating Baylor by 11, even though, they had missed the majority of the two previous weeks of practice because of COVID and just all of the issues they have. Dearth of talent, lost their the majority of their leadership. They lost their head coach. Aranda's brand new. Didn't get a full offseason. Much, much the same situation that we were in to an even greater degree as far as coaching turnover is concerned uh, for their staff. So... Yeah, not not an exciting win, not one that you're going to come out of it going like, rah, rah, we're back on the wagon. But if nothing else, all you can really say is at least it got us off the the, the losing skid there. We had the back-to-back losses to TCU and OU. So really the most positive thing came out of that was that it was a W for once and not an L that we mm-hmm. were walking out of the stadium with. Mm-hmm. And I think that there were going to be very few scenarios on Saturday 
that would really appease a lot of Texas fans and actually um, kind of have us feeling good about the team. Uh, I know that personally I would have wanted to see um, much more of like a, a spread passing attack and for Sam to actually play it well um, because I, I think the first couple games I was kind of able to write off as an aberration or Sam had an off day, but you know halfway through the season you kind of are what you are. And I think that that's the larger takeaway from the Baylor game is just that we are that team and coming off a of bye week, that's who Herman decided he wanted to be was run the ball, control the clock. Um, and we did it to his credit. We did it effectively against Baylor. Uh, and thank God we did. Cause you, <laughs> for all the reasons you just mentioned about why we, Baylor was kind of overmatched um, coming into the game. It's, it's, it would have been pretty bad if we hadn't been able to execute at least at the level that we did. Yeah, because there there is no other team in the Big 12 that has that level of turnover. Like, even with all the turnover we had, Baylor is the one team that has had way more turnover in this offseason. So that paired with all the COVID stuff, that would have been, in a lot of ways, even more than Kansas losing to Baylor would have been the most inexcusable possible loss on our schedule. So, uh, hooray, we didn't <laughs> blow it. We, we, we did win. Uh, but yeah, not, not a whole lot to look at and go like to feel like we're turning things around, but also at least they're not nearly as grim and dark as, Texas Twitter and the boards and the 995ers and everyone else. At, at least the, the tone of discussions was a lot more grim than I think what we saw on the, on the field. I think things were better on the field than the tone would have you believed. And that's not because things on the field were really good. It's that's more to reflect how the tone and the, the general somberness of the fan base is at this point that's how low our expectations have gotten to where that uninspiring performance but still a relatively safe win uh really didn't make anyone feel better yeah and i don't i don't think that it should have you know i think that until this team actually shows some sort of sustained improvement um and is able to carry that over the course of several weeks there's no reason to actually buy back in. Uh, so, you know, Oklahoma State next week is a good way to start that off. Um, but uh, I do have a question for you, Josh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a bit of a depressing question here. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it possible, do you think that Baylor was our peak this season? And the reason I'm asking that is because there are a couple things that we did better than we have at any point during the season so far. Um, that makes me think it was our best game so far that we've played. All right, so first off, the defense was actually pretty good. Uh, I think that Baylor has a pretty limited offense, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Charlie Brewer is seemingly always injured and, like, he can't throw the ball more than 15 yards. Uh, but, you know, the the linebackers were playing better. We were able to um, not give up any big plays, at least you know, no blown coverages or anything. We were pretty good against the run. Uh, and then on offense, this was probably like what Tom Herman wants every game in terms of going out there and running the ball and really pounding it consistently and actually getting the run game going, 
even though we didn't really have big explosive plays like we've had in a couple of the other games, like Rashawn had a big 40-yard run at one point, um, I think against TCU or maybe OU, uh, we were able to actually consistently move the ball and uh, not hurt ourselves with as many penalties. Uh, and then we had a good third quarter, which is a massive contrast to all of our other games in which we come out of half and somehow, I don't know, somehow just get blown out consistently in the third half. That didn't happen. Um, and so I think that there's a definite argument you can make, and obviously the point differential is a reflection that this was our best game of the season so far. And if you're halfway through the season and this is the best game, like this is what you point to and say that's our peak performance, that's a little bit depressing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think possibly as a complete team effort, this the, it's certainly possible. I, I guess if we're halfway through the season and this is the best performance for our defense, where admittedly the defense had the, the vast majority of turnover on the staff. Whole new scheme. Nearly every position coach is new other than Oscar Giles. But... I think defensively, the fact that this was our best game is more of a reflection of the defense really starting to to get those reps that they needed. The things they missed out on on spring practice were really at that point now where I think this is where we would have wanted to start the year had we had a full spring practice, a true fall practice, uh, and not been limited by the pandemic. So I think on the defensive side of the ball, I'm not disheartened by this being our peak performance so far because i i do think we're consistently outside of like i said after our texas tech game i thought that that would prove to be the aberration in the season and to this point the defense has shown that that is the case texas tech is not the standard that our defense can play at i think otherwise we have seen pretty regular improvement defensively especially from the linebackers especially with a guy like DeMarvion Overshone, who is learning the position on the fly. I think a lot of that, that, that is starting to gel together. And I think that's a, that's a unit that could have, that would have benefited a ton again with that, that spring practice. So I'm not disheartened on that side on the offensive side of the ball. And I think I said this with, with Tux last week. I don't know if it was on the podcast or just sort of one of the discussions I had with him, but at a certain point, I mean, if you're not going to be an explosive offense, you need to stop trying to force the ball down the field. If you want to play ball control and you want to chew clock and you want to be this power run team, which was sort of a staple of what we did in 2018. We, we did sort of that grind it out. I think we had more 10-plus play drives than any other team in the country. We just sort of churned out yards, and it, it wasn't flashy. And I know Bill Connolly's... Uh, formula with SP plus hated that we were not an explosive offense at a certain point you just need to embrace what is working for you and if if that's what it looks like I know it's not the high-flying offense that Texas fans have associated with success uh, like you saw with the Colt McCoy offenses the Vince Young offenses Texas's successes over the last 20 years have been predicated yes with strong defense but also with extremely strong and interesting to watch offenses. Um, Greg Davis aside, even though his play calls weren't great, there, there was still that aspect of it felt like we could score seemingly at will on just about anybody during those, those time frames. 
Look, if, if, if we're not able to do the score a touchdown in a two-minute drive, embrace the grind-it-out thing. Take short short passes. Take your checkdowns. That was what made Sam so successful and able to break the record for most consecutive pass attempts without an interception in 2018. If, if it's a 50-50 ball and you're not hitting those 50-50, then take the checkdown. On third and four, take the five-yard underneath route on the on the shallow crosses that Whittington or Jake Smith is running. You don't have to make everything a big play. Just take what you're being given. Just be efficient. Just grind out the yards. Just keep picking up first downs. You you it it is exciting, and I the analytics probably favor explosive offense. But at this point in the season, if this is who we are embrace that stop trying to be something else if that's not who we are going to be mm-hmm. i i actually see where you're coming from um i well first off I, I just i do agree on the defense i think that they're um improving and if you want to look for something that can kind of give hope for the rest of the seasons the defense i still think that's uh, some shaky ground to <laughs> to build a house on you know because i think that we're still gonna have more ups and downs um but yeah, so as far as the offense, I, I think that you're right and that if that's what we decide what we want to be, the 2018 team probably is the model that you want to go for. I definitely think that there are some big things missing. Like A, Colin Johnson was pretty good at those 50-50s, and then B, little Jordan Humphrey, and Devin DuVernay for that matter, were both really good with the ball after the catch, right? They were, they were much more sure-handed options. Um, I mean, LJ had some drops, but he was still reliable when it mattered, Uh and once he had the ball, he would pick up another 5 to 15 yards afterwards. Um, so I, I think that we're missing a couple things that really allow us to control the ball consistently and play control offense. Our offensive line is worse than 2018, 2019. We aren't getting as much push up front. So even though I think our running backs are better than either of those years, our run game isn't as consistent in generating early down yardage. Um, and ultimately, I think that that's why so far our offense has looked its best whenever we've been spreading the ball out, which is often at the end of the game. And we're just having to rely on Sam to make something happen because we're down two scores or a score or whatever, and we have to score quick. Um, so while the defense is, there's good stuff there, the offense still just seems to not really, well, they know what they want to be. It's just a matter of can they actually do it with the personnel that we have. Um, and I think that that is ultimately the source of, at least personally, that's the source of my frustrations with with the season and kind of why the Baylor game, while, while it was a good win and it was solid and it was nice to see us do all those things well, there was still just this underlying, like, I don't know, I, frustration is just the best word to use, underlying as I'm watching it, so... Yeah, and you mentioned Devin DuVernay and, and Lil Jordan Humphrey in 2018 being good at making plays and doing the yards after the catch thing. And I think that's the part that frustrates me the most about our passing game as it is right now, is that it seems to be either we're taking the bubble screen and getting three, four yards, fighting for those, for those yards, or the only way that we seem to think you can get chunk yardage on passing plays is to just bomb it down the sidelines we we aren't really giving our inside guys an opportunity to be like Devin DuVernay or Lil Jordan Humphrey where 
you sort of drop it off on a short pass and you give them an opportunity to do that, those yards after the catch, whether that's because of the play calling or because Sam insists on going down the field. I feel like we, outside of literally the first play of the season th- on the throw to Josh Moore on the, the cross uh, or the slant that he took to the house, how many other times this season have you seen us really give a receiver an opportunity to catch the ball and then go make a play? Mm-hmm. It feels like it's not very often, and I think that that comes back to the lack of sort of intermediate passing game. It's either something behind the line of scrimmage or it's 25 yards plus down the field, and anything else, and, and all of that is happening on the boundaries. It's not happening in the middle of the field. You're not getting the, the crossing stuff. You're not getting the air raid concepts that we were hoping to bring in where you bring in your mesh concepts and, and all these shallow crosses and whatnot. It, it feels like it's either literally boom or floundering around in our own backfield hoping something opens up magically yeah and there's i just gotta say there's something really funky with that slot receiver group because it's always been such an integral part of herman's offense like going back to houston and ohio state he's always had productive guys there even 2017 when our offense was really (laughs) really bad you know that offensive line like, we complain about our offensive line this year, but let's not forget that offensive line <laughs> and just how poor it was. Um, but we still had, like, Reggie Hemphill maps balling out. Uh, and so it, it's just weird that we haven't found anything there and that we're going to 12 personnel so much because Herman has been such an 11 guy. And we there have been some... Uh, some stuff over the middle. There's a specific play that I'm thinking of, and it's this mesh concept where you have like the slot and the outside receiver kind of running short mesh crossing routes. Um, we scored on it against UTEP with a Tariq Black reception, and then I think that the one that more people might remember is that's the play that uh, Jake Smith dropped the ball against OU, I think, or was it TCU? Um, where he had like all that room to run, and so you're talking oh, about yeah, designing yeah, yeah, the room, TCU one. yeah, yep. designing to get receiver space. Uh, Jake Smith had it there, and he just dropped it and missed out on a lot of yards after the catch and maybe a touchdown. Um, so it, it's weird, and I, I'm sure that part of it has to do with you know Whittington being in and out, and Jake Smith. I ha- honestly have no idea what's going on with Jake Smith. Um, so there's some instability there, and then you have Schooler who seems like a reliable target, but I think that he just doesn't have the physical tools. Um, there's just a lot that we're missing out on whenever we're playing school instead of the other two, and the other two aren't reliable, whether it's for health or other reasons. Uh, so it's it's just put us in a really weird spot where we don't have the outside receivers to really like feature, you know, like Josh Moore is pretty good, but we don't have somebody like Henry Ruggs or Devontae Smith or anything, um, or Marvin Mims. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's Offense is in a weird spot. I guess the coaches are still trying to figure it out, and this was their answer. It was more, more 12 personnel, more running the ball. Um, so I still feel like it's kind of something to watch, even though I think I've said that every episode I've been on so far this year is, hey, this is what I'm going to be watching next week is the offensive game plan. <laughs> Though I, I do think with that 12 personnel has given us the opportunity to see the emergence of Jared Wiley as an actual threat in the passing game. He had a pretty good game against Baylor, had a few big catches, 
Um, has had a few big catches this season, I think, against TCU as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the silver lining, even though that doesn't solve all of our problems. It does show us that, hey, we have an athlete that can develop into a true weapon at tight end in, in Jared Wiley. He's getting there. And that's really the only positive to the lack of stability that we've had at the slot position with Whittington being injured, with Jake Smith being injured, or maybe it's something else. And Brendan Schooler more or less not really being a natural slot receiver and sort of learning everything on the fly and having a pretty limited package for him in that role. Um, and then Kai Money, as great as his name is for memes, not being some physical specimen in the slot either. I think that that's really the only positive we've gotten there. I'd like to see more Jared Wiley. I'd like to see Jake Smith stay on the field more uh, if that is due to injury or other maybe some mental off the field that's going on, whether that's homesickness or frustration or whatever it is. Um, I would like to see stability there because I think that's part of what Sam is also missing is he he doesn't feel like he's got that guy he can go to. He doesn't have Lil Jordan Humphrey when all else fails. He doesn't have a Devin Duvernay when all else fails. And I think Jake Smith had shown me enough over this year and last year, mostly last year, to where I believe he can become that. But because he can't stay on the field this season, he's not giving Sam an opportunity to develop that chemistry with him to this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm still... I'm still right there with you. I'm still on the Jake Smith bandwagon. I've been hyping up Jake Smith since early last year because his per-snap production in the first half of his true freshman season was incredible. Um, so, yeah, and I should say that, like, 12 personnel isn't, like, objectively bad. I think that at times it's looked really cool, and Jared Wiley has been one of the high, high bright points for the offense, and, you know, there's some really cool stuff you can do with him. Uh like the Patriots have kind of always had some 12 personnel they like to run. And something they would do is they would just put Gronk outside um, so that they could keep that same personnel on the field right and then put Gronk outside one-on-one with a cornerback. Uh, and so if Jake's, or sorry, if Jared Wiley is a guy that you say, hey, this is a weapon and we want to be able to like run at tempo or not at tempo, but not allow the defense to swap and get some matchup disadvantages, that's something you can do. You know, like you run the ball on first down with at 12 personnel, then you have Wiley line up at the X and you can have more at the slot. Um, and suddenly you either getting Wiley with a cornerback or you're getting Wiley with a linebacker outside or a nickel or something maybe, you know? Um, so there's a lot of stuff we can do, but we haven't seen that yet. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I'd love to see any more creative stuff like that. Um, and, just using 12 personnel more as a mix and then just inserting Wiley and (laughs) into the base 11 personnel, let him get the majority of the tight end touches. Yeah. I think just because of sort of the noted reliance that we have had and Tom Herman has had on 11 personnel since he's been at Texas. uh, I guess you could make an argument that those things are sort of connected again, like the defense not having had those reps in the new the new scheme is so much of our sort of flow to our offense was based in that 11 personnel. You, you bring out a different personnel grouping and you're trying to run similar tempo and, and, and pace to that. 
perhaps there are some limitations there as a result of us not getting that that practice time to go hey we're gonna go more 12 personnel this year maybe that's just something again that we're learning on the fly that that might be a mm -hmm. sort of a, a sunshine pumpy sort of look at it like hey things are actually would be really good if it wasn't for covid but I think there there is something to that. That is an unfamiliar thing in general, relying on that as heavily as we have this year. That is the newest part uh, of this offense, the biggest evolution we've seen since Mike Yersich came in as more 12 personnel. So maybe there's some of that to it, but I feel like that, that alone is not an excuse for the lack of production ultimately on offense, even though there's probably a, a kernel of that truth that is holding back that that offense a little bit, but I don't think that's the majority of the problem. Yeah, and I mean to before anybody says that we're I don't know spinning or we're just sunshine pumping or carrying Herman's water or something. I, I think that that is one way you can look at it, but I agree that's not the whole picture here. Like at the end of the day, you still have your senior quarterback and Sam Ellinger. You still have a ton of talent at the skill positions, offensive line. Even you have the stalwart left tackle that your entire line should be able to to really lean on. Um, and you have experienced starters that have performed well in the past in Junior Angulau and Derek Kerstetter. Um, so there's there's a lot of pieces on offense that ultimately we should be better than we are, even if this 12 personnel is something that they decided they wanted to be this year. Um, and, I mean, it, there has been times where we've gone, like, pure spread, and I don't think it was super successful. Uh, but... I don't know. I I guess that that's mostly it for for my take on the offense is just it's I don't understand it. <laughs> that's that's ultimately where I'm falling at is I just I don't I don't get it. I don't know what's happening in the meeting rooms. Um and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone does think we're just trying to pump up Herman or or make excuses for him, for God's sakes, this podcast has been named the Fire Tom Herman podcast literally since he stepped on campus. Yes. In, in some in some iteration of this podcast, of its development in its infancy, it has always been the Fire Tom Herman podcast. As long as we have been settled on a name, it has been the Fire Tom Herman podcast. So uh, even though that name is satirical, it is still in the end sort of at the core of who we are is that sort of expectation that whoever the coach is is not they're not qualified to be the coach so to a certain degree we're, we're kind of like those people who go into an election saying i'm never voting for the incumbent because we just need to turn it over and try again no matter what um to a certain degree you can look at it like that we are certainly not for herman i'm generally of the opinion of i really don't care who the coach is if if we're getting um, if things are going well, other than off the field uh, distractions and, and embarrassments and scandals and stuff like that, for the most part, I, I really don't care who the coach is. If it's Mac Brown, if it's Tom Herman, if it's Charlie Strong, I want that coach to be successful. Um, and if Herman can turn it around, I'm not going to sit here and cry that it, it's not someone else. If Herman manages to turn this whole thing around, we win the next six games by 35 points apiece. Awesome. I, I'm really not that heartbroken if Herman sticks around, if that's the reason why. I'll be heartbroken if he sticks around and the season continues to stay sideways like it has been. But, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where I was going with that. But 
there you go. We're definitely not sunshine pumping. We're just trying to, to rationalize, I guess, in our own brains why we keep doing the things we're doing. Um, and that's probably the best way to look at it. So with that, we've got Oklahoma State this week. Uh, number six, Oklahoma State. I don't know what the spread is. I think it's like Oklahoma State by four and a half. Um, so we're underdogs. It's Halloween. It's nearly a top five team. Personally, I think on paper, all of this looks like the sort of game that made Tom Herman at Houston uh, was just having those big games, a chance to, to make a statement when you're the underdog. And despite all the issues we've had at, at Texas um, since he got here, Tom Herman's record against the spread at, or as an underdog straight up is still extremely impressive, extremely good. But at the same time, it also doesn't feel like anyone expects that big game Tom magic to come through in this in this scenario. So it'll be a be a weird one. It would have been especially weird for this game to be on Black Friday, full house, um, if it wasn't for COVID sort of realigning everything. But yeah, big game, chance to hopefully turn the season around, but also a chance for this to basically be the nail in the coffin on not only the season, but on the Tom Herman era at the mm -hmm. University of Texas. Yeah, I I think that, like you're saying, the opportunity is right there, right? Like, you can get your season not back on track, but you can you can salvage it, right? Sitting at 4-2 and two with a win over a top-10 team isn't a terrible place to be. Um, it's obviously a really rocky start and path there. Um, but at the end of the day, that's, that's not... It's a lot better than we, we were hoping for as even, you know, five days ago. Um, but I think that the issue is that a lot of that Tom Herman big game magic seems to just have disappeared. Uh, and I think that, that started with the OU game last year. We came in, both teams were doing good, had high hopes, and then they just dominated us. You know, we only lost by seven, but we were dominated. We had a couple other games last year that were like, okay, go big or go home. We got to save the season. And we lost those as well. <laughs> then we come into this year. TCU, that's not a big big game like, you know, the typical Herman game, but OU kind of is. I think any rivalry game is, um, and we lost that. So I, I don't know if that magic is still there. Um, I'm certainly hoping for it, too, because I would love to watch us play really well. Um, if, if we just play a really well-executed, clean game, I'll be happy. Um, but there's also the possibility that we don't, and if we don't, then there's a chance that Oklahoma State just boat races us. <laughs> um, I haven't watched a whole lot of Oklahoma State yet, but I know that everybody else I've talked to has said that they are looking actually really good. Uh, so I think that I think that what we're looking for, the best case scenario, would be a game similar to last year, where we're kind of able to bottle up their run game, um, force them to make adjustments on offense, and Sanders uh, isn't able to just pick us apart through the air. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's not going to be that, that same kind of game that we saw last year, at, at least for our offense. Oklahoma State's defense is legitimately good. Um, they almost single-handedly this season are sort of breaking that national impression about the Big 12 doesn't play defense. Oklahoma State is playing defense, and they're playing defense extremely well on all levels. In the secondary, linebackers, defensive line, all of it, they're solid. So 
I think in, in that regard, I, I'm not going to say that I'm expecting to win, but even if it, it's one of those games where it feels like Oklahoma State is in control the whole time, their offense, Chuba Hubbard has really not been explosive this year. He's not been nearly as terrifying as you would think, um, just sort of with the reputation that he has. Um, Tylan Wallace is going to be scary for our, our defensive backs. But if you remove that Kansas game, which I think is going to be the aberration uh, for a lot of teams as far as the impression that you get of them this year, I think Oklahoma State is really only averaging something like 25, 26 points a game, which is not a lot, but it goes to show how strong their defense is playing to where Oklahoma State outside of Kansas can only score 25 points a game and still be undefeated to this point in the season uh, is a testament to how good the defense is. But it also shows that between the injuries and everything else, Spencer Sanders doesn't quite have it all together. That offense isn't rolling like a typical Mike Gundy offense. So I think even if it is like the Oklahoma game last year, where it feels like we're getting blown out, I don't think Oklahoma State is potent enough on offense quite yet as Spencer Sanders continues to develop and come back from injury. I don't think they're potent enough to truly boat race us. Like, it, it, it could definitely be one of those games where we lose by 10, but it feels like we lost by 40, even though the final score was 31-21 or something like that. I, I don't think there's any scenario here necessarily where we truly get boat raced, where it's just constantly that gap just feels like it, it keeps expanding and we never catch up. Well, the Texas football team hears you and says, challenge accepted. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I... Yeah, I, I think that limiting their their offense. Um, okay, so I think that not letting their offense pop off is going to be important, um, and I, I say that because we have seen multiple times where offenses have looked really good against us, and I think a lot of the time it's, it's not the run game. I'm actually not that concerned about it, um, but you know, like Max Duggan looked great against us like I thought he was going to be really good and then he got benched by TCU later on <laughs> like the next game or the two games after um, so we still have some problems in our secondary as much as we were talking earlier about the improvement on defense tackling has come a long way uh, the linebacker play has come a long way our DBs still aren't playing particularly well on an individual level and against a guy like Tylen Wallace I think there's always going to be a level of concern um, especially given that Wallace has had some big games against us in the past. Um, so, yeah, if we can prevent him from doing what some of the Texas Tech receivers did against us, then I think that we should be able to limit their offense pretty well. Um, and then also you have to count for the QB run game going up against a guy like Sanders. Uh, but the bigger worry, I think, has to be, as you mentioned, their defense is is good. And it reminds me a little bit I feel like the vibe is a little bit similar to Baylor last year where they had a really good defense and a somewhat limited offense but you know an effective offense that was able to get them enough points to win football games um, and we went into that game last year and we just got totally bottled on offense you know like I think that Keontae had like a 60 yard run in the last minute of the first or the second quarter to get us on the board uh, for the first half so it's that, that's where a lot of my concern stems from in terms of the boat racing <laughs> claim. Um, but I certainly have a lot more hope against this Oklahoma State team than I did last year against Baylor. 
Yeah, and I think part of that was just because Baylor was right there at the end of the year, so mm-hmm. it was sort of like, to that point, everything had spiraled so far out of control mentally. Everything had snowballed for that for the 2019 team. Mm-hmm. That I, I'm, I'm hopeful that to this point in the season, not all is lost, especially because of all the stuff off the field. I, I'm, I'm hoping, at least at this point, I still feel like that team has that mental fortitude. The two losses were still games where the team continued to fight through everything that was going wrong, everything that they did wrong, all the self-inflicted wounds, all that. Never really seemed to put our team away. We still battled through those things rather than in in that Baylor game or in some of the other games last year that we lost where it felt like to a certain point we laid down because we just couldn't overcome ourselves. Um, it, it feels like our team is better on the mental side there so hopefully hopefully that explains why we're feeling better about Mm -hmm. oklahoma state than we were about baylor last year and i and i think that is a good comparison to to draw where with the limited offense and the strong defense definitely Mm -hmm. um but i think one one big question that i think sort of will go through everyone's mind the rest of this year uh not just for this game but for the other four games on the schedule is going to be whether or not you should root for winning or losing. Because at this point, it seems like Tom Herman is done barring an undefeated run and winning the Big 12 title game. It seems like that's basically the only thing that's going to save him at Texas. But... um, I don't know where that line kicks in to where you go. If you're out on Tom Herman, as I think you and I both are, I don't know where you hit that point to where you're going, you know what? It it makes more sense for the long-term health of the program for us to lose, so I want us to lose. Personally, I'm, I'm someone who can sit here. I can tell you I understand at this point Tom Herman's not the guy. He's not going to get it done. But man, if I'm... If I'm going into it like rooting for a loss, I feel like I, I, I'm I've sort of lost any sense of being a fan at all. I, I think I'm even against better judgment. I'm one of those people who's going to root for Texas to win, even if it's worse for us long term. I will take the short term, sort of positive, good vibes, happy feelings, uh, before I'll take the long term benefit of a loss. I'm gonna root for a win but I might not be happy about it. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, the the best case scenario is that Tom Herman just never loses a game again. You know, somehow we went out here, we won the conference championship, we won the Sugar Bowl, and, you know, then we come in next year and dominate everyone. Like, of course, that's the best case scenario, but kind of like I said earlier, the team hasn't actually shown anything on the field or on the chalkboard that really makes me think it's plausible that they'll pull off a run like that. Um, I think that you kind of have to, to look to 2018 as that hope where we were coming off a loss to Maryland and a really poor showing against Tulsa. And we kind of won big games over USC and TCU, and we were kind of off to the races at that point. Uh, but I, I, I think that the dynamics are really different. Where 2018, I know personally, I saw positives. I saw the negatives, too, in the loss, obviously. <laughs> but I saw the positives where we could actually kind of pin our hope. We had Sam improving. Um, the run game actually looked decent compared to the year before. 
but now like we're in year four, I think that we know have a much better understanding of what Tom Herman and his teams are um, and kind of what they aren't. And one of those things they aren't is evolving. <laughs> uh, they're, they're pretty similar and I don't know that he has it in him to really make adjustments uh, that might be needed. Um, so anyways, I, it's definitely a question that's on a lot of Longhorn fans' minds. And while I'll root for them to win, if we end up losing and Herman gets fired on Sunday, that might be just as much fun. Yeah, so I guess I, I will always say root for a win, but knowing that a loss could be good for long-term health, I guess it'll make it easier to swallow the loss because you can at least look at it as sort of a light at the end of, end of the tunnel situation. But yeah, absolutely going to go into this. Definitely preferring to win over lose. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I think at this point, this season has more or less broken us enough to where I think we're going to sort of shy away from doing any more true predictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think moving forward, this is sort of the, the expectation for how we're going to talk about the next game. What our, what our expectations are, what we're going to look for. Um, and it doesn't seem like the expectations are great. doesn't seem like we're expecting big game Thomas Herman to come through. So, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully this team responds well to negging because that's sort of the, uh, the approach we're going to have to take the rest of this year is just doubt, 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 and hope they surprise us, really. Because um, yep. I think that'll just make everything hurt a lot less is if we just have as low of expectations as we possibly can. Yep. Well, that's, that's where I'm at for sure. <laughs> and you know, something kind of funny about uh, not being in the SEC and not loving every team in your conference is I hate a lot of the teams in the Big 12. So I don't want a lot of them to have the satisfaction of being the team that got Herman fired, you know? Like if he had been fired over after OU, then they would have been like, ha-ha, we got Herman fired. Kind of like what we did in 2018 with Stoops. Like, ha, oh, we got Stoops fired. <laughs> Baylor, I'm happy that they don't have that because that would have been annoying. And Oklahoma State is another fan base that at times can be kind of annoying. Um, so, you know, if somebody's going to do it, maybe kansas or kansas state but other than that i don't really want the other teams to win so they can have that satisfaction i mean i I think i talked last week about the poetry of having tom herman possibly lose to kansas on nearly the exact same date four years later after strong loss to kansas to end his tenure at texas so there, maybe there's there's just that poetic justice coming down the line at some point. Yeah, and the funny thing is that if Tom loses to Kansas, at least we won't have to hear all the <laughs> all the the quotes like this is the first time in 65 years that Texas has lost to Kansas because yeah, yeah. this is the Assholes, first time. It's been four, four years. years. Fuck you. Yeah, take yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that very very positive note, uh, we have reached the end of this episode. Thank you to everyone who is still listening all the masochists who are still watching and keeping up with the podcast even though i'm sure no one else's podcast is really any more positive than ours uh i i don't know who's left out there in texas media who's pumping sunshine uh especially because most of the other podcasts i'm pretty sure just switched from being borderline QAnon conspiracy theories in the off season about covid to just being upset about the play of the team almost immediately after UTEP. So 
yeah, probably not a whole lot of happy feelings coming out of your Texas podcast. So thank you for still sticking with us. Hopefully <laughs> we're at least a little bit more entertaining than some of those other podcasts. Make sure to give us some feedback on Twitter at, at the FTH podcast or on the podcasting platform of your choice. On that same platform, make sure that you follow Hornscast. Get all of our episodes as well as all the episodes of all the other shows on the network, including 4th and 5 and Pretend We're Football. I think it's not too far away. I'm not a big shooty hoops person, but I can't imagine William and Johnny are too far away from kicking that back off because feels like shooty hoop season's right there around the corner. So definitely follow Hornscast to be able to get a look into that. I I would find it hard to believe if there's nearly as much Texas basketball content out there in the podcasting realm as there is for the football team. So pretend your football is definitely the, the guys to go to for that. Otherwise, we will see everyone after the Oklahoma State game. Hopefully a win. If not, we'll talk about where we go with a loss, given that it will probably mean the end of Tom Herman by season's end. But until then, hook them.